All right, Alexander, let's do a video on a possible another banking crisis, another banking situation that looms. And this one's a big one. And uh, we could also talk as well about a crisis in France and Macron. So we got a couple of two big uh, crises, big, big situations that are developing in uh, in Germany and in France. Let's start with uh, with the banking in, in Germany. Yeah, absolutely. But let's me just make one observation, which in my opinion, the crisis in Germany and the crisis in France are part of one and the same crisis. And I think that's something we need to understand. And the reason we are in a crisis in Germany and in a crisis in France is because of this extraordinary structure that has been superimposed on the national economies of Europe, in Germany and in France, which is, of course, the European Union and its various institutions, which are creating all kinds of problems and, and strains. So the big crisis today, if you get up, look at the newspapers, Financial Times this morning, Daily Telegraph, all of the rest, the European media, it's Deutsche Bank. Now, we've heard lots about Deutsche Bank for many years, there's been rumblings that not all is well at that particular bank. It's been quietly bailed out on more than one occasion. There were moments when it looked like it was about to tip over. And perhaps it's unsurprising that straight after the Credit Suisse affair, and the Credit Suisse affair, in effect, was the liquidation of Credit Suisse and its absorption into UBS... So an absorption of one of uh, uh, the disappearance of one of Europe's oldest and most prestigious banks. It's completely unsurprising to me that people are saying, well, if this could happen to Credit Suisse, Deutsche Bank is clearly a target. And that's what we're seeing. And there's deposit runs, apparently. Um, shares are falling, not just in Deutsche Bank, but across the European banking industry, and there's growing nervousness. And unsurprisingly, the people who are said to be in charge, Olaf Scholz, um, I believe Christine Lagarde, they've all come out and said, no reason for concern, no reason to worry. The situation in the banking sector is fine. Deutsche Bank is a well-run, profitable bank. There's no reason to be worried about it. Well, they said that there was a brief revival in Deutsche Bank's shares, and now I understand they've dipped again. So it, it doesn't seem to have worked. And, of course, even if it is the well-run bank that people are saying, if a bank run starts, if, loss, if there's a lot of confidence in a bank, well, it can rapidly run out of control, and the German government might have to step in, and the EU might have to step in. But the key point to understand is Deutsche Bank is an EU bank. It's part of the EU system. Germany is the central core of the EU. There's a crisis in the German banking system. That's a crisis for the whole EU. Yeah. Deutsche Bank is is central to the to the system, so that's 
That's bad news. That is bad news if something happens there. Um, I get very nervous when when Lagarde and Schultz, they come out and say everything's okay. So you should. I think you're very wise to. That's a a good rule of thumb that there's a problem, actually. Your instincts are infallible. Okay, so... Okay, so what... uh, so what happens next? Well, the first thing to say... We're entering I, the weekend. We're, we're entering, entering the weekend, the weekend. so yeah, we are going to get a couple of days breathing room, I guess. Exactly, exactly. And there's, so they're going to be working together on thinking about how to do something. But, of course, weekends are often dangerous because it's over the course of weekends that the rumours start to spiral. And, you know, well, we're only talking about rumours. We don't really know. I mean, I don't know what's really going on at Deutsche Bank. But um, the rumours start to spiral. The messages start to pour in. People wanting to sell that. If they want to pull out their deposits, they will start sending their instructions over the course of the weekend. And if we go back to the Credit Suisse affair, that basically unravelled over the course of a weekend. So they have to be confident when the markets reopen on Monday, that they've got the situation under control. And if it looks over the weekend that it's not under control, that on the contrary, things on Monday might get much worse, then the authorities, whether they like it or not, will have to step in. And I want to make one thing absolutely clear. The German government, the EU Commission, the European Central Bank are not going to allow... Deutsche Bank to fail. I mean, there will not be uh, even the kind of disorderly liquidation of Credit Suisse that we saw. They're going to be, they're going to move very, very rapidly to to support this particular bank because it is so important to the system. The risk, of course, in their doing that is that if they're going to support Deutsche Bank over the weekend, then that might weaken, that might save Deutsche Bank, but it might create further stresses and weakening across the entire structure. People might start wondering whether Germany is a safe place to invest in. You might start to see uh, uh, yields on German bunds begin rising. All kinds of problems might start to arise, and that could create a whole set of new problems even if they act to try and preserve Deutsche Bank, or at least in some form. Yeah. Yeah, they can't let Deutsche Bank collapse. That's crystal clear. I mean, too big to fail. Deutsche Bank is too big to fail for the for the European Union and for uh, for Germany. the The problem is 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 too big to fail for Deutsche Bank. But what about the EU economies. What about the other banks, the smaller banks? What happens then? Well, that's exactly the problem. Because, of course, too big to fail is, by the way, an incredibly dangerous situation. You should never let a bank grow to that point where it becomes too big to fail. And it's systemically dangerous for your economy if you do. Can I just take a step back and talk about the UBS Credit Suisse merger? It has now created a bank, you know, this big UBS, which is 
a colossus in terms of the Swiss economy. If there's problems at UBS, Switzerland, which, remember, is outside the EU, very integrated with it, but it's still outside the EU, well, it would be severely stretched if it had to bail out UBS. I'm not saying it will need to, but UBS's shares are also falling today, just, 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 just to say. And um, I've also, by the way, heard some other stories about the Credit Suisse affair, which is that apparently the intention was to actually liquidate Credit Suisse and sell it as a sell its good parts to UBS rather than doing the merger in the way that they did. And they chickened out of doing that because the Saudis and the Gulf states said, if you do this, we're big investors in Credit Suisse, then we basically are going to pull all our deposits out of Switzerland. That is Now, that's a rumour again. But it's a, I know it's a rumour that is flying around. So if they're starting to have to patch together things in places like Deutsche Bank, there are going to be rumours that other banks are in trouble. And you're going to start to see pressures right across the German banking system, which, by the way, I have heard is not in particularly good shape. And, you know, Germany has this huge network of regional banks, the Volksbank and such things like that. You know, some of them are very well run, others perhaps less so. But they could all come under pressure and... You know, it, it could spiral. And problems in Germany feed into problems in other places. And I've heard that problems in the Italian banking system are grave. And always there's worries about the solvency of banks in France. And beyond that, there'll be concerns about the solvency of governments themselves. Because government debt levels across the Eurozone are now very high in Italy. They're well over 100%. In France, they're well over 100% of GDP. In Germany, they're below that. But Germany has done enormous damage to its economy, as we know, because it's cut itself off from cheap Russian oil and cheap Russian gas. There's issues of deindustrialization beginning to spread about Germany, concerns that we've talked about many times on our programs. And, you know... Germany doesn't need a banking crisis on top of all of that. If people get the sense that the situation in Germany is bad in its financial sector, they might start looking at the entirety of this economy. And they might start to say, well, this economy doesn't look like it's in good shape. And perhaps it's time for me to take my money out. And if that feeds through to German depositors, well, I'm not even going to go there and discuss what that means. Yeah, I mean, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, who would have ever thought that the Swiss banking system would be uh, toxic? Like, <laughs> like it's Absolutely. like it appears to be. I mean, yeah. Switzerland's reputation has been has been damaged immeasurably from from it's this. Been, it's and this been... is a big this is a big part of their not only their economy, it's a big part of brand. Switzerland. Absolutely. It's about 10%, you know, it's, it's about 10 yeah. of their economy. It's a big part of their economy. I mean, Switzerland is yeah. other things. But brand it's, Switzerland, it's, it's like, it's like yeah. saying that Swiss watches don't work. Exactly. You, well, you know, it's, it's, it's brand Switzerland. You're completely right. Can I just say, I mean, you know, I, I uh, again, in my working life, I had quite a lot of contacts, believe it or not, 
with the Swiss banking system. Uh, um, and, you know, I, I could see how it worked in those days. And it was you know, mostly small banks, very small banks, lots of little banks across the cantons, very, very conservatively, conservatively uh, run, very careful about how they dealt with things, very precise, very, you know. Uh, and, of course, there were the, the bigger banks, Credit Suisse, UBS, those sort of banks. But it was mainly a sort of layers of small banks. And then it changed because globalization happened. The Swiss began to relax their privacy laws because they came under enormous pressure to do that. And that was something that meant that people were less keen to park their money in Switzerland in the way that they did. You know, those famous numbered accounts, by the way, <laughs> I've been familiar with a few of those, the numbered accounts where it's only the number, the, there's no name on the account, they've all but disappeared. All that side of things in Switzerland, it's gone. That kind of Swiss banking system that existed 20, 30 years ago, no longer exists to anything like the same extent today. I'm sure there are still pockets of it, but overall, it is part of the globalised, westernised, homogenised, Europeanized banking system that we all know. And a, a, a Swiss bank... Surveillance system. Yeah, it's a surveillance system that we all know. And as we see, that's undermined its solidity, just as it's undermined the solidity of uh, banks right across the uh, uh, Eurozone and indeed in the United States as well. The United States always had a rather, shall we say, more adventurous approach to banking, a more dynamic society, so we mustn't be critical. But that was the reality. You know, bank failures in the United States were more common than they were in Europe. In Switzerland, they were all but unheard of. In Europe, they were all but unheard of. Now, we're starting to see them again. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you get rid of the privacy of Swiss banking and then you get rid of the, the conservative reliability of Swiss banking and why should you put your money there? I mean, what's, what's the benefit that I have in keeping my money in Switzerland? It's not private. It's not reliable. Banks could fail. I might as well take my money and put it elsewhere. That's, that's pretty much the message of... Uh, of Saudi Arabia and of, of these investors in Credit Suisse. But yeah. Germany is is going to have the same problems yeah. because, you know, brand Germany, brand Germany was this industrial uh, powerhouse. Once again, reliable, uh, steady, strong, uh, in, industrious, a great place to, to, to do business, to build stuff and, um, and a safe place. To, uh, to do business and build stuff. And that's that's going down the tubes as well. But, you know, all of this is because of the shock and awe uh, economic war that they waged against Russia. Yes. I'm, I'm not going to go into the lockdowns and no. all of that we, because that's done. They well, did yes. it. Fine. Yes. But yes. the shock and awe sanctions that they placed on Russia, this economic war, is what's creating it, – it, it's – it's what's pushing everything yeah. over the edge as far as all of this, these economic yes. troubles. And um, absolutely. We, I, I, everyone was thinking, including, I just want to say, everyone was thinking, including ourselves six months ago, 
that Europe was going to to get to get smashed from lack of gas or lack of oil or something along those lines. We knew it was going to get bad for Europe, but we were everyone was thinking it was going to happen in in energy. And they're still not out of the woods yet, <laughs> yet there yeah. either, because Germany yeah. came out with some reports on on energy consumption. They're still not out of the yeah. woods there, but they managed to to cover it up for this winter. But who would have ever thought that they were going to get slammed from the from the banking side of things? Yeah. But you know, that's they they went down this path to to stir things up with uh, with these sanctions. They created instability. They wanted the sanctions war, and, and you know, everyone. Always says that when you wage a war, unexpected things happen. Absolutely. I have to give... Here's one of those unexpected uh, things. Absolutely. I have to give credit where it's due. Eve Smith at Naked Capitalism did say way back at the time when the sanctions were imposed and that she couldn't see how eventually this wouldn't work its way through into the, into the, into the financial sector. And she was right. I mean, so I just have to say that. But basically, you're fundamentally right. I mean, I didn't expect it in this kind of way. And notice the contrast. Not a single Russian bank has failed. <laughs> no, no evidence of stress in the Russian banking system at all. And yes, of course, there's the four big banks, which are state-owned, Sparebank and all the others. But there's a large number of smaller banks... No evidence any one of them has failed or had to be taken over or be absorbed or anything like this. And um, a, a number of people have been writing to me over the last 24 hours, pointing out that inflation in Russia is now lower than in the Eurozone, much lower than in Britain, and lower even than in the United States, which is a pretty remarkable fact. The first time, I think since the end of the Soviet Union, when that has been the case. So the law of unintended consequences, you go for shock and awe, and the shock and awe impacts on you. It obliterates your own banking system. Well, it maybe haven't been obliterated yet, but it causes crisis within your banking system. We mustn't underestimate the problems in the industrial sector, that are coming from these energy blockades, because um, one of the reasons they got through the winter, as well as the mild winter, the stocking up on gas, was that they reduced consumption in Germany by about 20%. Now, you can't do that without basically scaling down your industrial activity. I mean, it's some levels. And they apparently saying they have to do it by a further 20% on top of that to get through the next winter, I mean, that must all be, if that is correct, that must be feeding into more and more problems within the German industrial economy. And, of course, Germany is in trouble. Italy, I think, is going to be in trouble even more so before very long. The ECB doesn't know what to do. They continue to put up interest rates, even as they have a banking crisis raging all around them. We'll see how they eventually address that. We'll see how QE comes back. And at the same time, alongside all of that, we have France burning <laughs> because uh, Macron has to impress his smart friends in Brussels. And so he wants to impose a pension reform, which is 
itself only a weakened version of the pension reform that he imposed, that he was wanting to impose, but wasn't able to get through last year. And he's enacted it, as we've discussed, through by decree, because the French Parliament wouldn't support it. There's huge protests now in France. People in France are very, very, very angry. And there's talk, even in the Financial Times, about the need for a sixth republic. In other words, a completely new political architecture to be created in France, to replace that created by de Gaulle in the 50s, because the regime that has produced Macron is no longer fit for purpose. And it's a scathing article about the way in which France is run and about the kind of technocratic elite, pro-EU technocratic elite, Paris-based technocratic elite that Macron belongs to. But of course, again, it's part of the general European crisis that we're seeing. The crisis in Germany, the crisis in Switzerland, the crisis in France, they're all connected. Notice that Switzerland, well, I'm not saying that the two are directly connected, but notice that Switzerland had a banking crisis a few months after they started to go after Russian accounts. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And, and, don't, and don't worry about Italy. Maloney's going to give more money to, uh, to Zelensky. Zelensky. She said well. she's going to, to support Zelensky for as long as it takes. Meanwhile, Italy is in big, big uh, trouble. Yes. In, uh, in, their, in their economic uh, situation. It's, it's madness. It's madness. It is but, madness. You, know, they, you know, she's becoming, they, she's isolating. Ukraine has become a crutch for them. Yes. Yeah. She's isolating herself. I mean, Salvini clearly doesn't agree with her. Berlusconi's made it openly clear that he doesn't agree with her. Giuseppe Conte, the leader of the Five Star League, has made a speech making clear that on Ukraine he doesn't agree with her either. Opinion polls in Italy suggest the same, that most Italians are very unhappy with this policy, and yet she carries on with it, which has become so classic. I have to say, I'm deeply disappointed with Maloney. I, I thought that she would represent some kind of a break, but it turns out that she doesn't. And of course, well, I've been hearing for years, I'm sure we all have, about the fact that there are severe problems within the Italian banking system. And, of course, Italy has huge debts. It's been able to keep paying them because uh, the central bank, which is, of course, the European central bank, Christine Lagarde, in other words, has been paying those, uh, uh, has been paying those uh, debts for Italy, has been helping Italy with those debts. But, of course, if Lagarde and the ECB have to deal with the banking crisis, especially one in Germany, it may not be possible to do that for much longer. And, of course, if that happens, then, I mean, we're going to have problems in Italy, which are going to be on an even bigger scale than those in Germany and France. Yeah, if, if you take a step back, to just uh, end the video, if you take a step back and you look at everything that's, that's about to hit the, the EU, banking crisis in... Uh, OK, so you have Switzerland, banking crisis, Germany... Possible banking crisis, Germany. Possible banking crisis, France. Possible banking crisis, economic meltdown in, in Italy. Protests in, in France. A million people burning every, everything down. Macron looks, looks ready to, to exit the, the scene. 
And you have all of these sanctions that do nothing but hurt the EU. You have deindustrialization, you have recession, and they want to fight a war with Russia. Something's going to break. Something has to give. There's no way that these people can handle all of these these, these juggling balls in the air, especially people like Vander Crazy and (laughs) Burrell. I mean, no way, no way. Something is going to drop. Something's going to break. Well, I know. In the meantime, they want us to produce more ammunition. And Ursula is talking about the 11th round of sanctions. Here she is. I mean, that, that was her, that was what she was talking about yesterday. She now wants to move on to the 11th round of sanctions. The, you know, the previous 10 rounds didn't work. So we must have an 11th, even though nobody can understand what those sanctions are going to be. And she talks about, you know, making these 11th round of sanctions that they should target third parties who are undermining the sanctions. So you end up sanctioning everybody, presumably, even as your own economy goes to pieces. Now, you're absolutely right. These people are not going to be able to cope. They don't have Angela Merkel to keep them to some extent in balance. She's gone from the scene and the crazies are now in charge. Or Maybe they're not crazy, but they're certainly not up to the job. They certainly wouldn't know, it seems to me, how to deal with this kind of thing. After all, um, Lagarde was the person who gave a $50 billion loan as IMF chief to Argentina, which Argentina <laughs> basically defaulted on. So, I mean, why, why expect uh, Lagarde to do better in a crisis like this? Medvedev uh, called them incompetent and illiterate yeah well he's met them all remember that's what he called i mean he, he absolutely he was president of russia he was prime minister he's had multiple dealings with them he actually knows these people which is so he he knows what he's talking about one one must assume all right uh the duran.locals.com we are on rumble and rockfin odyssey pick shoot and telegram and go to the duran shop 10 percent off use the code good day take care